Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today being Wednesday means it's another Mailbag Wednesday episode. So if you've uh, been listening to the podcast, you enjoy my guests, you enjoy uh, some of these mailbag episodes, I appreciate it. If you got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out and ask the question and, and I can answer them on our next mailbag episode where I'm open to answering any questions about my playing career, uh, my short coaching career, uh, my broadcasting, or just maybe any thoughts that you might have just in general uh, on the world of sports, whether it's high school, college, or the professional ranks. So um, appreciate that. While you're at it, like, subscribe, and review uh, to our podcast, The ISO, wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, um, wherever it is, um, please like, subscribe, and review. So without further ado, September 22, our mailbag issue. We'll start with a question from Josh in Seattle. I noticed that you were traded a number of times in your career. How do you mentally prepare uh, yourself for being traded and what is that experience like? Well, um, Josh, good question. I get that asked a lot and it's one of those things where you really aren't uh, aware and understanding of what it truly is to be a professional athlete until you are traded. And for me, luckily enough, uh, I was traded on my absolute first day as a professional athlete. Um, so my draft day, 2002 NBA draft, uh, I was traded on that day, but I was drafted for the Atlanta Hawks by the Sacramento Kings in a prearranged trade that was uh, set up probably 15 minutes before uh, David Stern called my name. My agent had given me a call and said, look, Atlanta's doing everything they can to acquire a draft pick. They're trying to trade with anybody that's left in the first round to be able to pick you. Um, when you get announced, if it if this does go through, which it looks like it's going to, uh, it will be Sacramento trading you, but don't worry, you are going to Atlanta. So that was my welcome to the NBA moment right off the bat is I get drafted but I'm getting traded. Um, you know, and then through the rest of my NBA playing career, I believe I was traded eight different times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a couple of those ones that, that stand out that I'll share with you kind of, you know, the circumstances around those a little bit. Um, you know, the first time I got traded actually during my playing career would have been uh, partway through my second year, I was with the Atlanta Hawks. I was traded back to Portland. And uh, the trade happened during the middle of the game. And it was myself, Theo Ratliff, and Sharif Abdul-Rahim got traded to Portland uh, for Rashid Wallace. And um, I believe it was Wesley Person that went to Atlanta. Well, <clears throat> like I said, it was traded at halftime of a game. I played really well in the first half uh, for that being my second year, and um, I didn't even get in in the second half, and I was I was 
ticked. I was mad. I was frustrated. I couldn't believe, you know, um, you know, I had done everything I needed to do in that first half. I played well. Um, how come I don't even get in in the second half? So drive home uh, with my, my wife. We get to the apartment and just kind of frustrated, you know, eat, frustrated, watch some TV. And I get a phone call from, um, it was Billy Knight of the Atlanta Hawks. He was the, the general manager at the time. And he called to say that there's been a trade and the reason, and that I was involved in the trade. And he went on to kind of share who was in the trade, where I was going, which was going back to Portland, which for me was was a blessing. It was, it was awesome because uh, that's, I grew up there, dreamt of being a Portland Trailblazer. My wife um, was pregnant at the time with our first child. So everything was awesome. Just the fact we were getting to go home. Um, and then he said, apologize that you didn't play in the second half. You were playing really well, but uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't play you um, because if something happened and you got hurt, the trade would have gotten blown up. And I remember thinking to myself, well, Theo and Sharif played that night. And then without me getting a chance to ask that question, he said, we had to play Sharif and Theo because if we didn't play them uh, before the trade was 100% official, uh, officially approved by the league, we, we, the trade would have been uh, would have been known. So people would have known something was up. So we had to play those guys. So that was a, is, was an interesting trade. Another one would have been, um, when I was traded from the Boston Celtics to the Portland trailblazers. Um, so I got traded back to Portland twice. So this would have been the second time I got traded back to Portland. Uh, my family and a couple of our close friends were on a drive trip from uh, Vancouver down to a, a kind of a central Oregon uh, kind of family community resort called Sun River where we, we would rent a house and, and we would go play golf, take bike rides, uh, just do a bunch of family activities for the week. And we had a kind of a caravan of cars that were heading down there. And um, we, we knew that my name was rumored in a trade and and then it fell through earlier in the week, so I really didn't think anything of it. Uh, figured out, hey, I'm it's it's draft day. I'm going back to I'm going back to um, Boston, which I was excited about. I was enjoying my time in Boston. I was getting back off of uh, my Achilles surgery, um, and so I was really doing everything I could be could do to prepare to be ready. And so all of a sudden, my friend who was two cars behind me in the caravan. Uh, on the highway, starts passing the other cars, and he pulls up alongside me, going about eighty-five miles per hour, like because he had to catch up behind, but from behind, and he starts pumping his fist out the window and screaming at me out the window, and couldn't understand what he was saying. Then finally, I understood what he was saying: is you got traded, and I'm yelling, we're. We're not on the phone. We're yelling through cars going down the highway. You got traded. You got traded back to Portland. So we, when we came up to the next little town on our way, on our drive down to Central Oregon, uh, we pulled over and we kind of talked about it and celebrated um, that we were getting traded back to Portland, which was, which was an unbelievable blessing at the time just because coming back off an injury, 
um, all my rehab, all, all the doctors that I had been working with, um, you know, were in the Portland area getting me back ready and right. And it was exciting to be back in Portland. Uh, I was most proud of coming off of that trade um, that I not just coming off that trade, but coming off that injury. I didn't miss a single practice or game the rest of my career uh, based off of anything to do with my Achilles. So I did a really good job with my rehab there. Um, the hardest trade that I ever would have had to be involved with was one that happened the very next summer. Everything tended to turn around, uh, turn weird around draft day. Uh, my wife just stopped uh, kind of answering her phone usually most times around the draft um, because randomly we'd get a phone call from a family member or somebody, hey, you guys are getting traded here. What's going on? Uh, what's the latest? And so um, that very next year was the hardest trade that we, we had to do, um, had to go through. And that would have been getting traded from Portland to New York. And that was involved with Zach Randolph and, and Freddie Jones and myself were traded uh, from Portland uh, to New York. That was probably the hardest one for the reason that, you know, I was a little bit more established in my career. I, it was end of my fifth year. I, I felt like I had done the things as a veteran I needed to do with Portland uh, that second go around after year five to kind of really um, be a part of things. Uh, the front office, Kevin Pritchard had told me, Hey, we, we think you're, you know, you're going to be one of our core guys. I wasn't looked at as a starter or necessarily uh, maybe in line to compete f- for starters minutes, but the way I was kind of really um, being told in conversations was that I was going to be a big part of the organization uh, and I had nothing to worry about. Uh, a couple days before the draft, I was actually playing open gym at the University of Portland. Freddie Jones and a couple of guys and I, we were there. And we were talking about the uh, a, a rumored trade, and Freddie and I were laughing that we were, you know, rumored to possibly be a part of it. And Martel Webster might be a part of it. And Zach was obviously the centerpiece. Um, and we were kind of going back and forth on on the intel that we had had from our agents and, and what we were hearing. And we kind of both left that conversation, that open gym, both comfortable that neither one of us were going to be included in a trade. Well, lo and behold, I think it was two days later, the draft day happens, and we're both included in the trade. So that would have been uh, probably the hardest trade to be involved with was going from Portland uh, to the Knicks. And the Knicks really had had no uh, plans for me, ended up getting traded again to get out of that uh, situation and get to the the Clippers for my last year in the league. So um, great question there from Josh. Next question is from Jim in Eugene, the home of the Oregon Ducks. What's the importance of a player coach relationship at the professional level and the college level? Well, I I think it's very important. I think they're, they're, they're a little bit different in the fact that at the college level, um, many or most of the players are still at um, that stage of life where they're looking for a coach to be a mentor, um, possibly a father figure, um, kind of guide them and teach them still in some of their formative years 
um, you know, between the eight years of 18 and 22. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's uh, where uh, the importance of a, of a great player coach relationship is at the college level. Um, and I don't think it falls all on the head coach. Many college head coaches are great at that. Unfortunately, many college coaches uh, kind of fall short in that. And there, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, even though I challenge the coaches who, who, who don't place as great an emphasis on that to be better. Um, but I think that's also where a coach, a head coach who's running a program understands his strengths and weaknesses and hires a staff that complements him and is able to, to really give his players uh, a well-rounded experience. And so I think that's where a lot of times a, a great college assistant coaching staff really can kind of round out the edges and really um, kind of be a part of that player-coach relationship uh, to kind of drive that forward and help young men as well as young women kind of grow, like I said, in those formative years. But as as far as the you know importance of a player-coach relationship in the pros – it's not necessarily that important, although you can tell when there are special player coach relationships. A couple ones that you know uh, I look to and see is 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 being great examples of that would be Popovich and Tim Duncan in San Antonio. Uh, they seemed every time that I played against them or every time I watched them on TV, they seemed to have a great kind of back and forth and understanding of of what each one brought to the table and supportive. Uh, and care for each other. A great one actually was just this past weekend in the NFL. And I'm not a huge NFL fan. I don't watch a ton of football. Um, so I really, I, I don't know all the particulars behind this, but I saw it on social media and then I kind of read a few few things about it. And, and I thought this struck me when, when this question came up was um, the, the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson and their coach Harbaugh. And it was a end of game situation and coach Harbaugh asked Lamar Jackson, do you want to go for it? And I thought that spoke volumes that he trusted his best player and his instinct in the moment and what he saw out there. And that doesn't just happen. That happens over a course of time of, of the player showing it to the coach that they understand um, they're on the same page Um uh, and obviously the player has to, to have the ability and the goods to deliver in that situation. But it also comes from, you know, plenty of meetings, plenty of conversations between the two, plenty of film sessions between the two, plenty of, of uh, observations from the coach of watching uh, the leadership process that a player has and watching what their uh, work ethic allows them to be able to do in different settings and situations. And, and so I thought that was a great example of player-coach relationship that I saw over this past weekend. Last question comes from Chuck in Boise, Idaho. What's your breakdown of fall prep for basketball at all levels in the fall? Well, that's that's really good, and it's something I think about quite frequently. I actually had a co- conversation with a high school coach here in Spokane um, just a couple days ago about this, and I think there's such an emphasis placed on events and showcasing and um, promoting of kids at the youth and the high school level that 
um, it's almost become a year round thing where in my honest opinion, that is most important during the true eval periods of the NCA. And that would be your spring events. That would be your summer events. Um, when you get outside of those, those periods too much, what I think, I, what I see a lot of is money grabs by, by tournament directors and event directors. Now, there are some that do it the right way, and there are some that get a great field, and there are some that um, make sure that their, their events are, are run in a way where it's not just rat ball up and down, kind of uh, whoever touches it gets the shot. Um, and, and I don't want to lump all of these in that category. Uh, like I said, there are some really good ones. Uh, Dinos Tragonis runs some great ones on the West Coast. Uh, Ryan Silver runs uh, a number of good ones. James Johnson runs uh, some on the West Coast that uh, have definite value. Um, but in my opinion, um, you as you're developing as a youth, high school, um, those, those, those should be looked at with, um, is the timing right for me? Am I ready f- to, to, to play in this setting, in this scenario right now? Does it make sense with where my game and where my conditioning is at leading in to my true season with what is most important? Because if, if, if you're preparing to go to these events as opposed to preparing your skills to be prepared for the season that's upcoming, that's where I think there, there's a lot of uh, issues that come about for these players and unrealized expectations for the parents. Uh, so that's why I've always felt that the most important thing in fall is for players to skill develop. And if their high school team plays in a local fall league, perfect. They need to do that. But to travel outside of the area, um, it, it's got to be a, a unique uh, setting and event and something that um, is an occasional thing, not a regular thing um, for players because skill is what needs to be developed in the fall, getting ready for the year. For college, it's a little different. Um, usually players are getting back on campus. Um, that's where you know the players are, are getting back into the grind and, and the regimented schedule of being a college athlete. Uh, I don't like how colleges now have the ability to keep guys basically on campus most of the summer and run practices. Uh, I I think the college coaches now have too much control over players as far as making them do that. Um, It it takes away a lot of the creativity and the go-get-it-ness from players to get better on their own and search out those opportunities, um, whether it's in their hometown or somewhere else. That's something that always helped me as a player is – during the summer, I got away. I did not stay at the University of Washington for summer school and, and work out with the team. At Gonzaga and Spokane, I did not stay in summer school. I, I went home and worked on my game in the Portland area and searched out opportunities, uh, found ways uh, to, to get better. Uh, and I think that's something that is, is important, and I think that's probably a missing key and a missing piece for a lot of players uh, is going out and finding ways to get better on your own and that's something that I think is is vastly underrated. Uh, but in the fall, I think that's a great time for college players to get back in the regiment of of what it taking those skills that hopefully they improved on in the summer, and then now blending them into individual and group workouts that they're going to have. 
positionally with assistant coaches. And now that you're starting to get into practices, you have limited hours with everybody right now, is blending those into a team setting. And so um, for a college player, it's figuring out how do I blend continuing to work on my skill development within the expanded hours of team um, team requirements. I always looked at um, uh, myself. There was a necessity to make sure that um, I was getting my skill workout. I was getting my shots up outside of the normal practice times because that's what you got to do as a player to get better. Um, and then at the pro level, you know, uh, it, it's all about the fall. Uh, for it, it's different for for a vet versus a young guy. So for a vet, it's all about going to that that city where where you're on a team for the first time, or if you're trying to make a team, being in that city a month ahead of time, uh, getting to that getting to the facility early, uh, staying late, making sure you're you're leaving no one's stone unturned with that assistant coach. Um, in that player development staff to let them know that, that you're working, you're ready, you're, you're getting there um, on time and you're in shape, ready to go with an understanding before training camp really gets going. For the vets, it's all about um, kind of trying to, to, to peak your conditioning at the right time uh, before training camp really gets going. A number of vets um, you know, that I can remember during the course of my career, um, you know, they had a very strict kind of lead up into training camp. I remember, for example, I was my, my last training camp in the NBA with Phoenix, um, you know, for the month leading up to training camp, I was flying down and staying in a hotel for, for four and a half, five days a week, gearing up for training camp. Like I mentioned, I would be individual workout, strength workout, play pickup, and then go back to the the hotel. That was Monday through Thursday, uh, for four weeks leading up into training camp. But um, the example that I wanted to share was uh, Steve Nash. He was heading into probably maybe his 14th year at the league at the time. Um, still was one of the best point guards in the league. Um, his regiment of his workout uh, was absolutely impressive. Um, he did, He had his specific uh, ball handling and shooting balance workout routines that he had. He would jump in with us on a few occasional things with with uh, gr- uh, group workouts with the other coaches. Um, he had his set uh, weight workout that was tailored specifically to gear him up to be ready for day one of training camp, not to be great in September 10th pickup games. Uh, but then the last part of, of many vets in how they kind of uh, gradually stagger themselves to be ready for training campus. He had a set amount of time or games that he would play pickup. And I remember specifically there was one game or one day of pickup. Uh, it, it was, it was a great run and we were going for about 45 minutes so far. Um, teams were evenly matched. It was great pickup games. The basketball was fluid. Everything was good. All of a sudden he looks up at the clock after a game ends and guys are like, come on, Steve, one more, one more. He looks up at the clock. He looks up at, with the, the guy who was kind of his trainer at the time. And it was like, nope, you've got enough today. We got to get going. So he, he, he was done. He was at a point with his tr- career and his training, his body, knowing what he needed to do to get ready for the regular season, um, that it was regimented out in such a way that he was done. 
Um, and I thought that was a great example. And I think that's something that, um, you know, many of the best vets understand how to um, periodize their workouts to be ready for training camp and then continue to build upon their conditioning and skill set uh, and rehab training if they've had injuries so that they can stay at that level throughout the season. So appreciate the questions. Um, again, this is the ISO Mailbag Wednesday episode. So you got other thoughts, you got questions, you want my insight or opinions on anything, send me an email, dickow at Scorebook Live, or send it to our scorebook live social media accounts appreciate it have a great day take care thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube